All right, well, good morning. Um, If you could open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15. I'm going to pray and we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, many of us are, are coming here this morning feeling many different things. And Lord, yet I pray that you, by your grace, would speak to us. Thank you so much for the words of these songs that we have been singing. We praise your name that we can sing to you, our King. And so we ask, Lord, as we worship you now in the speaking of your word, as we worship you in the listening to your word, I pray, Lord, that you will be glorified. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen by your grace to speak to us. I pray that we, your people, we will listen to you. In your name, amen. I want you to think this morning about your emotions. I want you to think about your emotions. Last week, we thought about our senses, what we see, what we taste, what we smell, what we hear, what we touch. But I want you to think about your emotions. I wonder how you're feeling this morning. Emotions are feelings. Some of us are feeling tired. A lot of us probably are feeling tired. Some of us may be feeling low. Some of us may be feeling angry. Some of us feeling not quite there yet. Sang all these songs, but I'm not quite there yet. All those feelings are normal. What I want to ask you is some questions as we begin. Have you ever woken up in the morning? And you wake up in the morning, and for some reason you feel low, and you don't really know why you just do. Can I be honest with you? Thursday morning, random morning. I woke up on Thursday morning, and I felt low. And I couldn't explain why. I just did. And I have options then to do something with that emotion. Either I let it overwhelm me, or I do something with it. Do you ever randomly get angry, burst out in anger randomly through your day? Do you ever sometimes look at the future and you wonder at the future and you wonder what is going to happen in the future and as you look at the future, you're not quite sure and when you look at the future, do you ever feel afraid? Do you ever put your head down on the pillow at night? You put your head down on the pillow at night And you get this overwhelming feeling of guilt and shame because as you review your life from that day, you realize you've sinned against your Lord. All of those are emotions and feelings that we all experience. All of those are emotions and feelings that I myself have experienced. And we have an option as to what we do with our feelings. Just like with our senses, we either use our senses to gratify ourselves or we use our senses to glorify our God. We either use our senses to get overwhelmed with our, our, our emotions, to get overwhelmed with ourselves, or we use our emotions to glorify our God. Feelings, emotions. This is what we as human beings experience. And two things I want to say about our emotions. Two things. One, they're normal. As human beings, we are going to feel emotions. We are not robots. They are normal. And our emotions, they are not 
all bad. They are not all bad. Even the emotion of feeling sad, that is not the worst emotion to feel. You know, the Bible has a category for us that we as Christians can feel sad. In the Psalms, there are songs called Songs of Lament, which gives us a category that we can sing out to the Lord in sadness. In fact, there is a book in the Bible called Lamentations. And in that book, we can express and feel sad. No one is supposed to preach that book and say, you know what, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. We're not supposed to preach it in that way. We're not supposed to teach it in that way because sometimes we feel sad. And sometimes non-Christians look at us Christians and they think, oh, they're just the happy, clappy guys. Well, that's not true. Sometimes we feel the emotions of sadness. And we can even use our sadness to the glory of the Lord. But the temptation can be with our emotions is to let them overwhelm us and let our emotions drive all our decisions, let our emotions drive all our plans, and let our emotions drive everything we do. Sometimes we even let our emotions primarily drive our worship. No, it should be God who guides, God who leads, and God who directs us. And when we think of emotions, and a man of emotions, you have to think of Samson. Samson, he is an emotional guy. He is a guy who is driven by his senses, and he is a guy who is driven by his emotions. And I want you to see that at chapter 15, verse 1. Look what it says. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him go in. So it says there in verse 1, after some days. Now I want to remind you of what happened after some days, what happened before those days. What happened before those days is that Samson, he made this bet with these guys in a drinking festival. He made this bet with them. He said, I'm going to give you a riddle. If you can solve the riddle, I'll give you garments. If you can't solve the riddle, you give me garments. They couldn't solve the riddle. So what they did was they got Samson's wife. They said to her, we'll burn you and your household if you don't tell us the riddle. So she goes to Samson and she convinces Samson to tell her the riddle. She convinces Samson to tell her the riddle. And then she goes back to the Philistine people and she tells them what the riddle means. They go to him. They say it to him. And he gets angry. And what he does is he kills 30 of their men and he gives them over garments. And here's what it says of him down in verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. He is a man who is experiencing emotions, not just anger, but hot anger. And he experiences so much hot anger that he actually leaves his wife and he goes away from her. He goes back to his father's house. And then verse 1 says this, after some days, Samson comes back, probably knocks at the door if there is a door. He has a goat in his hand. This is kind of like um, the flowers or the chocolates of the day. 
He comes and he brings the gold. Brings the gold in, walks into the place. He says, where's my wife? The Bible actually says, and I don't mean to be crude, it's like it's in the Bible. I will go into my wife in the chamber. He says that to the father. What is he driven by? His lusts, his feelings, his emotions. This guy's just bringing the gold because he wants to be with his wife. Now his emotions have changed. But then his father says in verse 2, And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her inside. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Samson comes back. He's looking to be with his wife. The father says, actually, I gave her away. Can you take her sister instead? How's Samson going to react to that? Samson is not very happy. Samson is angry. Samson has hot anger. And you know what Samson does in verse 4? It says this, So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. Now, sometimes people are more offended by what happens to the foxes in Judges than what happens to the people in Judges. But anyway, 300 foxes took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go in the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Someone texted me during the week saying, Judges is a mad book. It really is a mad book. Takes up these 300 foxes. He is angry. You give my wife away, I'm going to light your fields on fire. He lights the fields on fire. What do they do? They light the wife and the father on fire. And then he says, well, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill a lot of you. Emotion after emotion after emotion. This is a man who is driven by his emotions, and it leads to absolute and utter carnage. I think we as people need to be careful with our emotions. We need to glorify God with our emotions. Emotions aren't a bad thing. They are a good thing. But sometimes emotions, they come up and they surprise us. Like my Thursday morning. I felt what I felt. I didn't know why. I didn't know where it came from. And I didn't know what to do with it. And if I let that continue on throughout the day, I would be overwhelmed with it. And so I have a choice. What am I going to do with my emotions? They creep up on us. On Wednesday night, in our men's meeting, we, we gathered together and we started to talk about comparison. The difficulty that we have as men with comparison. 
It's not just a problem that women have. It is a problem that men have, the problem of comparison. We look at people and their lives and what they do and their actions, and maybe even for Christians, other people's perceived spirituality, and we compare ourselves to them. The problem with comparison is this. It leads to, often to, bad emotions. If you compare, it is going to either lead you to depression or pride. As you start to compare your life with someone else, you're starting to be depressed about, well, my life doesn't look anything like that. I wish it did. Or you'll compare yourself to someone else and you'll start to feel pride because you'll feel like, well, I'm better than them as you look at their life. Comparison is a really dangerous game because it leads us to emotions that do not glorify God. Is there anyone here who doesn't struggle with comparison? Christian or non-Christian here this morning, all of us struggle with that. What do you do with it? We need to be careful with these things. And here we have this Samson just reacting and reacting and reacting and reacting and reacting and letting his emotions control everything he does. I'm really glad in many ways that our church has this sense of authenticity. I absolutely love it. That I feel free to say up front that on a Thursday morning, I actually had a bad morning. That's a really good thing for me to feel. I feel free to say that to you. Because I think what's happening here in our church is that a community is being built where people are not afraid to actually be honest. I don't think we've made it yet. I don't think we're going to make it, but I think we should pursue it. And I see it in the men's group. I I hear about it in the women's group. And I think it is a really, really good thing that we would come to people and come to each other and be authentic and be authentic with how we're feeling. But I would say this, sometimes in the name of authenticity, We will say something to someone, you know, I felt really angry at so-and-so the other day. I feel really sad the other day. And sometimes what can happen in the name of authenticity is we just say these emotions and we just leave it all out there with each other. We feel kind of better because we said it, but we don't challenge each other upon it. And what I would say is this, as we pursue real lives and real lives of authenticity, that we would challenge each other to live lives of holiness and self-control. Part of the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit, it says the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, part of it is self-control. We're called to live that with our emotions. And if there is a man who has absolutely no self-control, it is Samson. And it is not only his anger I want you to see, but how he expresses that anger. Because how he expresses that anger, it is really not good. Look at verse 9. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? 
And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up to the rock. Did you hear the way in which it is written? They said to him, he said to them, they said to him, he said to them, they said to him. It is an intentional pattern in the scripture. This back and forth, this back and forth. And what is it revealing to you is this, how those people are expressing their anger. Do you know how they're expressing their anger? Listen to the words in the sentences. The end of verse 10, it says, they said, we have come to bind Samson to do to him as he has done to us. And Samson replies at the end of verse 11, and he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. How is Samson and how are people in this passage expressing their anger? They are expressing their anger with revenge. If you do it to me, I'll do it to you. If you do it to me, I'll do it to you. It's the classic fight of brother and sister at home. Why did you do that? Well, she did that to me. Why did you do that? Well, he did that to me. If she didn't do that to me, I wouldn't have done that to them. If he didn't do that to me, I wouldn't have done that to them. I'm sure that happens in your household. Happens in mine. I wouldn't have done it if they didn't do it to me. The classic act of revenge. A back and forth, a back and forth, a back and forth, a back and forth. And so you see this pattern of revenge throughout this chapter, don't you? When you look throughout this chapter, what happens? You want to give my wife away? I'm going to burn your fields. Oh, you want to burn my fields? I'm going to burn your wife and father. Oh, you want to burn my wife and father? I'm going to kill all of you. Oh, you're going to kill us? Well, we're going to bind you. We're going to tie you up. All of it is this back and forth of retaliation, revenge. Here's the thing about retaliation and revenge. Nobody wins until somebody stops. Nobody wins until somebody stops. And some of us, maybe we've been in relationships like that, toxic relationships, where there's just this back and forth of anger expressed through revenge. You've done it to me, so I'm going to do it back to you. And it's just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I think, brothers and sisters, we need to be careful of that in our lives. The expressing of our anger through this reality of revenge. They did, to, they did it to me, I'm going to do it to them. The brother and sister, she did it to me, I'll do it to them. The friend and friend, he did it to me, I'll do it to her. But sometimes it can happen in our most loving relationships, even, even at home, like between husbands and wives. Sometimes revenge is actually subtle in many ways. He neglects me, I'm going to do this to him. She doesn't do this for me. My wife doesn't do this for me. I'm going to not do things for her. And so there's this constant back and forth of revenge. We need to be careful of that in our relationships. 
This is why I had Peyton read to us from Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never take revenge. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Have you ever held back from helping someone because they've never helped you? Sometimes our relationships are like deals. If they help me, I'll help them. If they love me, I'll love them. We need to be careful of deal relationships. As Christians, we're not called to just enter into deal relationships. In fact, in Romans 12, we are called to love who? Romans 12, Peyton read it out this morning. Who are we called to love? Our enemies. If our enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. It is not deal relationships that we're called to. So brothers and sisters, we should not react in our emotions, in our anger, and pursue revenge like we see Samson doing. So where is their hope for Samson? In all of the mess of his emotions, in lighting everything on fire, in killing everybody in sight, in doing all of that, where has Samson found himself? Has Samson's emotions worked out well for him? Where is he now? Samson's tied up with new ropes. Samson has nowhere to go, he has nothing to do, and he has no hope for himself. Until the Lord steps in, and in the mess of his emotions, and the mess that his emotions have caused, the Lord brings about his great salvation. Look at verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught on fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. This is class. He found a fresh, or depending how you look at it, fresh jawbone of a donkey and put put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men with a jawbone of a donkey. That, that it, it's kind of meant to be a bit of a degrading killing. That's what it's supposed to be. Verse 16, And Samson said, With a jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with a jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath-Lehi. Samson was going nowhere. Samson had no hope whatsoever until the Spirit of God rushes upon him and rescues him from where he is. No hope until the Spirit of God moves. But then as soon as he is released, his emotions take over and he takes this jawbone of a donkey. And you think, what's the significance of the jawbone of a donkey? And then it actually says the fresh jawbone in verse 15 of a donkey. Who cares if it's fresh or not? What does that matter? It's just a jawbone of a donkey. Who cares? Well, Samson, he's a Nazarite. And there's three things he can't do as a Nazarite. He can't cut his hair, he can't drink wine, and he can't go near dead bodies. 
So even as soon as he's released, he, he, he relinquishes his Nazarite vow. He gets the first thing he can find, which is the fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he kills everybody inside. And then you see his song. His song, you would think, oh, it's great that he's singing a song, but who is he singing the song to? I struck down a thousand men. The Lord gives his, his Holy Spirit to him. He's able to break the ropes apart. And then he stands up, he sings the song. And who does he sing the song to? He sings it to himself. You absolute Egypt. The Lord has rescued him. But he stands up and sings the song to himself. Deborah and Barak, when they were rescued in, in, in chapter 4 and chapter 5, in chapter 4, when they were rescued, they had a song. The song lasts for the whole of chapter 5. And in that song, they say, we will make a melody to the Lord. A song to the Lord we shall sing. It is in total contrast from this. Samson says, I struck down a thousand men. That, brothers and sisters, in a very small way, I don't think it's the point, but in a very small way, that informs the songs that we should sing. So many songs we sing as Christians are about who? Guess what? And guess who it makes feel better? And guess what all the motions are about? But who should the song be to? Him. Who should it be about? Him. Who should all the glory go to? Him. That's why we sing. That's what praise is. But Samson gets the victory and he sings the song to himself. And you know what I would do to Samson in this way? I'd say, you want to sing a song to yourself, Samson? Off you go on your bike. See you later. Go rescue yourself, Samson. That's what I would do. If I was God, that's what I would do. I would be a terrible God. But that's what I would do. I'd leave him off. Man, if I were God looking at my own life, I'd say, Shane Dean, off you go. On your bike, son. See you later. You're on your own. That's what I would do. But that's not what God does. See, Samson comes back because he's driven by his senses and his emotions. He comes back in verse 18 after singing the song. And it says, and he was very thirsty, poor fella. And he called upon the Lord and said to the Lord, you have granted this great salvation. You see, he's changed the lyrics of his song. Why has he changed the lyrics of the song? Because he is thirsty. So he comes to the Lord. You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die in thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Have you brought me out here? Have you brought me out here and rescued me just to leave me die in my thirst? Why would you bring me out here? What does that sound like? Anybody who's been out on Friday night, does that sound familiar in Exodus? <laughs> they get delivered through the, through the sea. The Lord parts the sea. They come out. We're starving. Grumble and complain. We want to go back to Egypt. Did you not realize that you were slaves in Egypt? And the Lord, here's what I would say to them. Off you go, back you go, on your bike. But you know what the Lord does? He rains down manna from heaven for them. And then what we heard on Friday night, the Lord brings them in Exodus chapter 17. He brings them to this place where there is no water. There's no water. 
And they start quarreling and fighting and grumbling and complaining. If I were God, I'd say, on your own. Good luck to you. See if you can find some water. The Lord gives Moses a staff, says, strike the rock and we'll give them some water. And so Samson, what is that going? Speak to the rock, he said. Okay, good man, Samson. Well done. <laughs> Always correcting me. And verse 18, look at what happens here in verse 18. And he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called En. Hakor, it is at Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines, 20 years. Do you know what this tells me? No matter how messed up, no matter how messed up my emotions are, no matter how messed up my senses are, no matter how messed up my actions are, that never removes me from God's salvation or grace. It never removes me too far from his salvation or grace. That doesn't mean that I can act however I want, but that does mean when I come back to the Lord and say, Lord, this week, my emotions, they've been all over the place. Lord, this week, my actions, they have been all over the place. And Lord, I am just thirsty for you. The Lord's not going to say, on your bike, see you later, go away. I'm done with you. You've gone too far this time. No. He will say, come to me. All you are hungry and thirsty, come. Come and drink the living water that is found in me. Come and eat the everlasting bread that is found in me. I don't care what your emotions are like. I'm going to teach you and train you and instruct you by my spirit to use those emotions for my glory. God is such a wonderful God of mercy and grace and salvation. And if he gives grace to this guy, Samson, there is hope for you and me. There is real hope for you and me. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I would say to you, come to him. Your emotions by themselves, they will not satisfy. Your senses by themselves, they will not satisfy. But I know a Savior who absolutely will if you would come to him. A friend of mine um, was, uh, when I was up north visiting, he said to me, he came to me, he said, uh, I was talking to a friend about you, he said. I said, okay, right, you know, what are you talking about? Friend came to him and the friend said, um, you know, I was listening to, to this guy preach and he said, um, you know the guy, you know the guy. And he said, oh, who's, who's the guy? I know the guy. He said, you, you know, the guy who sings, the guy who sings. So apparently for some silly reason, I'm known as the guy who sings. Not necessarily good, it's just singing in the sermon. And as I looked at this 
chapter, I could not help but think of a really, really amazing hymn. And if you'll forgive me, I will sing. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace thou wilt pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your great grace. Lord, that by your grace, you gave water to Samson, this thirsty, selfish, emotional fellow. And yet, Lord, you provided for him. And so, Lord, we trust that you are the type of God and King who will provide for us. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Hallelujah. In your name. Amen.